Hey, greetings and welcome to the 91st episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, and the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers. The music you're listening to is Croissants from the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from sports writing to screenwriting to erotica to self-help to song lyrics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's guest is a slider in this series of fastballs and curves. It's Rob Williams, the superstar comic book writer who's done everything from Judge Dredd and Suicide Squad to Martian Manhunter and Legends of the Dark Knight. And what's cool about Rob and this episode is there are so many parallels with what he does and what journalists do as far as dialogue, as far as emoting, as far as making sure every word carries meaning. So, as my grandma used to say, I dialed the phone and spoke to Rob long distance from his home in the UK. It's great, and it's fun, and it's all right now on Two Writers, Sling and Yang. Okay, Rob, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. And um, when I started this podcast, the idea was to talk to writers of all different genres. And I ended up doing a lot of sports writers because I am a sports writer. But I feel like this is really sort of what I am about, which is taking a medium I don't understand at all and trying to understand it. And I'm staring yes. here at one of your uh, your creations, uh, Judge Dread Outlaw. And I'm reading the dialogue, which you've written, obviously. And I'm already sort of fascinated. You have to convey things in very short and small spaces, short doses and small spaces, short doses and small spaces. And you have a long book to do it, but it seems like you're always confined to what you can say. So when you are writing, do you need this? I don't know. Do you need the skill of being able to say a lot in a little? It's not the only key, but it is, it, it's a really important part of it. And it's, um, you learn like any good writing, right? Whatever, whatever the, the form or genre. I mean, economy, um, is, uh, it, it's something you just have to learn. It's inherent in good writing. You know, you have to try and, as you say, get across a lot of what you want to do in a short space of time. I, I mean, I think that the main difference, I mean, my, my background is, um, I mean, I came from journalism. I did journalism college and I worked as a freelance journalist for many years. The, the, the difference of writing for comics compared to writing for other forms is, is visual. I mean, it's a visual medium first and foremost. And I think the thing you learn as you go on more than anything else is the fact that if, you, if you're doing it well, you shouldn't need many words in, in, in the panel. You know, the visuals should still tell the story. Ideally, if you're working with a good artist again, which is another part of it, the visuals should pretty much tell the story to the, to the reader's eye with, without the need of text. I mean, that isn't always the case. You know, this is very often like any rules, they're going to get broken along the way. But, but really it's, um, it's, it's having a visual sense in your writing is, is probably the most important thing. And the thing that distinguishes comics from any, anything else. All right, so I'm a consider me a moron in that, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the guy who, when I was a kid, I would go to the drugstore, I'd buy my Spider-Man comics, and my kid reads comics to a certain degree, but I, I'm by no, by no means a comic diehard. And, and here I am, okay, I'm staring at Judge Dredd meet. Rob Williams did the script, Dylan Teague did the art, and Parkhorse did the letters. Soup to nuts. How does this happen? Like how... They say to you what, and then how does it go? Well, ignoring all the the fact that you like any again, like any medium, you've got to get in through the door. There's an editor, right? The editor is the um, 
is the gatekeeper in this particular instance. And and what you do, I mean, hopefully, if you have a relationship with the editor, you 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 pitch, you pitch just like you would for a TV show or for anything else on, on a lower level. You, you the, so the first instance would be, hey, I've got this story, like one side of A4. You break it down into here's the hook, here's you know a basic three act structure, and you say this is what I'd like it to be. If if the editor likes the story, then off you go. And then, which you have um, not written, you have not. You have not written at that point. You, you just hand in a pretty basic, whatever, two-page outline of what the story is. No, you don't even go to outline. You pitch, first of all. And, and, and if you have a good relationship with the editor and you've worked with them before, very often that pitch can sometimes just be a paragraph. It can just be like, look, here's the hook of the story. And if they like the sound of that, you know, they'll say, go, go to the next stage. If, if they don't, then, then you know, you're finished there and then. Um, but, um, and then if they, then you go to outline. I mean, it, it entirely depends then on the length of the story you're telling. I've written outlines, which could be like, as I said, one side of A4 for a short. I mean, like the, the, the Judge Dredd story you're talking about there, I think was eight pages. Um, so that would probably be, yeah, two sides of A4 for the overall outline. And you break it down page by page. You do kind of like a zero draft, um, where, where you, you will kind of go page one, this happens, page two, that happens. And, and, you know, of course you're not, you're not writing it fully, but you are just getting the main storytelling beats and, and the main act turns and things like that, just like in any other kind of, um, uh, genre media. And, um, then, you know, again, the editor will probably want to see the outline. The outline, they'll give you some notes uh, here and there. And then you've got a script. And the script, every, again, every comic writer is does it in a different way. There's, there's um, the famous kind of, like, examples of this are Alan Moore. Have you heard of Alan Moore? Um, no, he's probably, but I'm an idiot. He, okay. Well, he's, Alan Moore's probably our most famous comic writer. He's, he's a fantastic writer. He wrote Watchmen. He wrote... Um, uh, legal extraordinary, extraordinary gentleman, a bunch of stuff from hell, a bunch of stuff has gone in, off into, you know, the wider world is aware of him. Um, but he is, um, famous for writing his panel descriptions. And in panel descriptions, I'm getting ahead of myself. Panel descriptions are you as the writer telling the artist what will go in that panel. So you are effectively writing a script, just like as if it's a screenplay, you would say, Exterior shot, nighttime, it's raining, you know, we see a car coming up the street. Whatever you want to describe, you've got to describe the visuals for your story to another person, to, to, um, to the artist. Um, and then you break cause action down into different sequences. Cause uh, as I say, it's a visual medium. So the first shot would be in the, that example would be the exterior shot of the house at night. Um, now you can do that in a very kind of stoic kind of like Walter Hill screenplay, like, you know, bare bones. You can just go exterior shot, night, house. Or you get someone like Alan Moore who will famously write sort of like paragraphs for, for his panel descriptions, get very poetic sometimes, very much trying to get across the sense of the overall theme and, you know, the sense of the story. Um, or you can just do it like there's a really, really famous comic one. In, there's a Judge Dredd writer called John Wagner, and his panel description, his famous one, is uh, Dread Grim. So two words, that's all he's told the artist. And then, <laughs> and then the, art, the awesome. artist, yeah, and then the artist goes off and, and takes whatever you've written, and you hope the best artists will turn what you've written into something extraordinary on the page. And, and, Sometimes the not so good artists will take what you've written and 
turn it into something not so good on the pitch. If you write Dread Grim, aren't you sort of opening yourself up to a million different interpretations of that that you hate and therefore a comic that you actually end up hating? Yes, and and uh, yeah, yeah, considering you say you're a sort of neophyte for this, you've you've kind of you've gone to sort of like the core um, of, of, of sort of like the experience. You were always it's so collaborative. You were always working with different artists, and you were completely beholden to the, how good the artist is and what they can do with it. And sometimes, if you if you get an amazing artist who's a brilliant storyteller what's in your script is turned into something extraordinary on the page. And sometimes if you don't get, as I say, if you don't get such a good artist, you don't. Um, but the artist is very much, um, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of, if you want to take a movie sort of um, world example of it, the writer is like, in terms of comics, is it, it writes for screenplay. The artist is really kind of like the director and the costume designer and in charge of lighting and in charge of, is the, you know, director of photography and all these aspects. So, the, you know, all the visual aspect side of it is entirely up to the writer. So you, you break your script down you into, um, uh, from a writing point of view into page one, you'll mark it at the top. You'll kind of go five panels. Um, your panel one, this is what happens here to the artist, panel two, panel three. Um, and then you write your dialogue between the characters. Um, and um, and that's how you break it down. I mean, effectively, it's it's writing a, a screenplay. But what you're doing is you you are breaking every every aspect of the screenplay down into individual pages, individual panels, individual shots. Um, there's looser ways of of doing this. But it would, would give the artist way more freedom. A lot of people can just write the plot and leave all this side of it. You know what happens in each panel up to the artist. I mean, you come in as the writer at the end and. And dialogue over the top, but I mean that's not the way I tend to work. Right, like I'm staring. Just as an example, again, I'm staring at Judge Dread meat, and it opens with a guy on a motorcycle jumping over, a, you know, a destroyed bridge, and he screams yeah. out "bike cannon," and then it says, "You know, you wrote, you know this guy, right? You know what he does." Now, yeah. So you're writing this dialogue without having the art in front of you. Is it weird to then see, like, what I'm staring at here? The guy on the bike, the guy wearing a lot of armor, the headlights are on, uh, thick tires, red trim on the bike. Is it weird to you for you to see something you have in your head morphed with something someone else has in his head? Like, can it, it's, it almost seems like it can never completely satisfy the image in, in you have in your head because it would be impossible for it to match the image you have in your head. It's always different. I mean, the thing is, you're, you're absolutely right. It is always weird. You are writing it. You are writing the dialogue. I think the best comic writers tend to have the visuals in their head. Very often, if it's working, I can kind of see the panel. I can't draw for shit, but I can kind of see the visuals. And, and so what I tend, try and do is describe it as best I can. I'll very often talk in filmic terms, in terms of camera angles. I'll kind of go, you know, this is a helicopter shot from a bird looking down or, or whatever, you know. Um, but what comes back from the artist is always different. I mean, it, it's never exactly what you had in your head. And sometimes they come up with something which is way better. And just because I think the, the artist is also, I mean, very often I'll describe things which is, is a pain, absolute pain in the ass for the artist, you know. Like what? Give me well, an example. I mean, if I'm asking for a certain angle and I ask for like what a couple of things to be conveyed in that panel, 
the artist very often can go, I can't, I just can't do that in that, pa- in that, in that panel. And I'm sure he's cursing me and he'll have to cut, he or she, sorry, will have to come at it from a slightly different way, maybe to convey, because at the end of the day, no matter what I describe, as long as the narrative beat is on the page, then I've got no argument with it. As long as the story is told, you know, and, and the readers get to see the main, you know, if I want a certain angle or something, then and the artist's got a better way of doing it, then that's the artist's job. You know what I mean? And I'd be foolish to actually, you know, get funny about that. Um, so, um, and very often as well, you know, very uh, in the early stages of doing this, one of the basic mistakes you make is you ask for two two points of action to occur in one panel, you know, in your script, and the artist can't do that. You know, Indiana Jones can't jump across the hole in the floor and sort of hit someone at the same time. It's two different actions. So very often you find your way with across with things like this, and then what comes back, as you say, is this slightly different. But then what you sometimes do is at the end of the process, you uh, writers will go back and re-dialogue again, you know, all, all of the visuals to better match up with, with what's been drawn. Um, mm-hmm. because, because sometimes you can just, what's been drawn doesn't quite fit, you know, some like the react, just purely like the physical acting performances of the, of the characters on the page, maybe don't fit the, the dialogue. So you'll go in at the end sometimes and just tweak things. Before we continue with two writers slinging yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman and I'm here with my dad, Stan Perlman who loves 503 Sports and wears a ton of vintage jerseys and hats and thinks it's really cool to be appearing on this podcast. What's a podcast? That's a podcast. When I was a boy, transistor radios guided our days. Those were happy times. It's a podcast. And what's with all this music these days? The hippity hop, the gangster jiggy. These guys need to take a page from Perry Cuomo. That man had class. Podcast. And what was so bad about 8-Tracks? You can take your young MC and your new kids in the edition. Give me some classics. Dad, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. And this is an ad for 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. They have great jerseys, great hats, old school leagues. 503-sports.com. Seriously, why is this so complicated? Are you done with this lecture? Yeah. That new Drake verse is hot. You're doing a Judge Dredd comic, and I'm looking at Judge Dredd Elevator Pits, part one. Like, I know when I'm doing a profile, okay, I'm doing a profile of this basketball player. I'm going to look up his statistics. I'm going to call his parents. I'm going to blah, 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 go to a game, watch him play. How does this even enter your brain? Yeah, you know, that's the the worst thing you can ask any writer is, where do you get your ideas from? Half the time, you haven't got a clue yourself. You know what I mean? Sometimes they pop in your head. Sometimes they come about through something you see on TV or something you read somewhere else and it just sort of prods you in a, in, in, in a certain direction. Um, so I, I generally don't know. I mean, I, what I, well, one thing I've found over the years is the more you do it, if you do, if you write any characters for a length of time, I mean, I've written, I said, I've written a lot of Judge Dredd. I've written the last three, four years. Uh, I've been writing a lot of Suicide Squad for, for DC Comics. And if you, if you do something in the story, it kind of suggests another story that will come off it, whether or not that's a character, a character point or a plot point or something. And, and it just kind of snowballs. Um, in terms of, I mean, the worst thing in the world with this job, not the worst thing in the world, but a, a bad thing with this job is an editor sometimes will say, Hey, you know, pitch me something. And you go, absolutely. Of course I'll pitch you something. I mean, you go away and you stare at the walls for two days and you just, or, you know, 
we're in hell because you've right. got um, you, you've got nothing. Uh, but you know, necessity very often sort of prods you into coming up with <laughs> something. Um, right. So yeah, I, I I genuinely don't know how to answer that. And if I did know how to answer that question, well, I would I would definitely bottle it. But I'm sure every writer would. Like I come up with most of my ideas, I feel like either in the shower or running. Like you would not say you yes. have a, you would not say you have a place. I, I mean, I'm actually generally really fascinating. This, like, do you, will you ever be literally taking a shower or lying in bed and you'll be like, yes. holy fuck, you know what I should do? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then you grab your notepad. Like, does that happen? Yeah. But it's, yeah, then you get this sort of a Seinfeld episode with with the burning globes of light or something in the middle of the night, right? And you, 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 <laughs> right. you write it down and, and you wake up the next morning, you look at it and you go, what the hell was I thinking of? Um, but no, I, I think, I think if you're stuck, and I was, I was talking about this last week, actually, uh, if you're stuck on something, go, yeah, go and do something else. I mean, I went, I did some DIY and in the process of struggling to just put a, a crappy blind up and a window in the house, you know, and you, you, your mind gets distanced and separated. And, and then all of a sudden, like the entire story just virtually downloaded into my head. Like, like so everything that I've been struggling with all day was just there. So I totally agree with the, the, you know, the thing of like going for a run or something. I think when you, you get those moments when you're doing exercise where the body and the mind just feel like completely separate things. They sort of, um, you, you get a little sort of zen moment and you're not even aware of what, what, what you're physically doing. And very often then you just get a run of good story ideas will just kind of pop. Um, so, um, but if, if, if you just stay in with your face in front of a computer all day, uh, struggling, you just will just, you know, you'd be banging your head against a brick wall. I'm looking at your, I hate to cite this because I usually don't. I'm looking at your Wikipedia page. Williams is a hack who has no talent. No, just, kidding. um, <laughs> I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say your parent, your mom has been on Wikipedia again. Um, it's, it says, uh, you started as a freelance journalist, which you talked about, and the creator yeah. of corporate videos. I mean, they always make these things sound so simple. And then he decided to try comic writing, re- resulting, yeah. resulting in class war. And I am actually interested, like, what made you transition from being a quote unquote feature writer to saying like, eh, what the hell? I'm going to try writing comic books. Well, I mean, it's like anything, right? I mean, it's, you go with what your passion is, I guess. And, and I, I love comics growing up and I lo- loved a lot of other things as well, but I, I never had any, thought that you could do it for a living because the comics I would buy were mainly sort of um, American comics. They were Marvel and DC and they were done by people like Stan Lee and then John Byrne and Chris Claremont. And these were all in New York and this was way before, you know, the internet. And, and there was just no concept of how you got to do that for a living. Um, so it, it wasn't something I grew up planning to do. So uh, I trained as a journalist and, and my plan was to be, a, I wanted to be a sports journalist and uh, I guess do the type of things that you do, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I got to do bits and pieces of over the years. I mean, I was freelance and I worked for so many different people. I did a bit of work for sort of GQ, sent me to the NFL draft one year and I got sent to Jackson, Mississippi one year to, to cover the, um, to interview Reggie Bush and cover the Saints training camp. And then, uh, um, wow. we, we got there. And uh, Reggie refused to be interviewed. <laughs> we'd come, uh, we'd flown all the way across the world, and um, I was like, "Well, uh, ringing my editor, going, he's he's not he's not going to do it." And it's like, "What do you mean he's not going to do it?" It's like, "I don't know, he doesn't want to do it." And um, but he did it in the end. He did. Uh, um, we did get the interview in the end. But that was all that stuff was kind of fun. But no, it was a case of um, going back to the comics thing. Um, 
I, I was doing uh, for a while. I was working for a video production company, and it was really boring videos. I would, I mean, we were doing like water treatment plant videos and things like. Uh, but what I was doing was writing visually, um, writing scripts for dull visuals. But it was writing visually, and I thought, ah. And I found a comic script on um, in the back of a graphic novel. And they were kind of rare at the time. I didn't really know how you did it. It's like we were talking about how you break it down. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And then there was a new British company starting up and I gave them my script. And it was like, I had no idea about that you had to pitch things or anything. I was completely naive out of the process worked. And I gave them like a, whatever it was, like a 60 page full script, which no one ever reads, like no editor's ever going to read that. And then about three months later, they um, they rang me one night out of the blue and just said, look, we've read this script and we really like it and we'd like to publish it. Um, so again, I had no no designs to actually do it for a living. I was still just a working journalist and this was like a, a, a fun kind of offshoot for me. But it got published. It was a book called Class War. Uh, suddenly I had a bunch of other co- comic companies who had read it and liked it and were were interested in me working for them. And uh, it just grew and grew, and I, I was like, I was doing it on the sideline as you know, my other writing as a journalist, and then just the comic work just continued to sort of, you know, snowball really. And um, and journalism's got again, as I'm sure you know, just harder and harder over the years. You know, the, the opportunities seem to have sort of in the UK at least. You know, people have cut budgets and cut budgets. It's not so easy, I think, to be a freelance journalist anymore. As the comic work increased, I just kind of like went in that more in that direction. Right, so. I would say my son and I, you know, we see most of the superhero movies. He's 12. And I would say the movie we enjoyed the least combined <laughs> was Justice League. You saw Justice League, yes? I did. I um, did not enjoy it. <laughs> I thought it was one of the truly worst movies ever made on the planet. Right there with Ishtar and uh, Geely and every other. So as a guy who works, you know, bringing these things to life and creating dialogue and keeping it sharp. And keeping it precise, when you go see a really shitball superhero movie, <laughs> I don't know. Does it at all? Like for me, I'm just like, God, that was a shitty movie. I wonder for someone like you who works, you know, in the field in a sense, does it offend you or affect you in a different way? It's kind of well, you, you compartmentalize it, right? Because there's me as me as a kid, nostalgic me, read Justice League comics as a, as a kid and, and if you told kid me that you're just this league movie i would be like yeah i will kill people to get it to get into the theater to go and see that thing right right uh, and then there's grown up me uh who's just a movie fan who, who like you just sat there and went sure this is uh this is genuinely one of one of the worst things i've ever seen um and then this professional writer me who, who occasionally writes those those characters and, and has written the Justice League comic um, uh, one time. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you're just kind of dumbfounded how it can go so wrong, you know? But but, I, but again, you know, if you're a movie fan and you, and you look into these things, it's a, and especially with sort of like studio notes and all that nonsense, it's, it's a miracle that any of these big movies are ever coherent at all because the amount of shit they have to deal with, you know, and opinions coming in from various executives or what are marked in or whatever. Um so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have that, oh, you've ruined my childhood thing. You know, it's a totally separate thing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the comic is one thing, the t- whatever the TV and the movie thing is, is, is a separate entity in its own right. And I think if, like, you know, I mean, myself and a bunch of my friends have either uh, work in the comic business, we, you know, we occasionally get, get 
books of hours optioned or something like that. And, and, um, I think you've just got to, you know, you've just, if that happens, you've just got to take the cash and, 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 and hand it off usually and just kind of right. keep your fingers crossed and pray. Because I mean, I know I've got friends. It hasn't happened to me, but I've got friends who, who have had that hugely exciting experience of like, Oh my God, my comics are, are, are filmed. And then I've gone to see the film in question and, and I've just sat there going, God, right. it's awful, you know, which must be the weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest thing. Your name is on the credits and you're like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's like, it has nothing to do. I mean, it's kind of, it was weird. I mean, I was like writing Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad, we were going to relaunch the comic at the same time as the movie was coming out. And that first, that Suicide Squad trailer was like, holy shit, this looks amazing. This looks like genuinely, they've got it, they've got it right. And then, so I had a vested interest in as much that we were launching a new comic with a new issue one, and Jim Lee was drawing it. Jim Lee's one of the biggest names in comic books and like a legendary artist. Um, and then I, you know, I went to see the movie, and it was well. No, my first hint was like with a bunch of people from DC Comics, with some friends, all all went to the premiere. And, and normally they come out and they'd be on Twitter going, that was amazing. And like, not one of them was sort of <laughs> said a word. <laughs> I was like, okay. I, w- I went to the cinema to see it myself and really excited from that trailer and just kind of, again, similar reaction to the Justice League <laughs> film was like, oh man. Oh, I'm just sinking deeper and deeper into my seat as, as on it went. But they're, they're an entirely different entity, right? You know, it's just, it must be the most amazing thing if they do, if your create, you know, your creation does end up on the screen and they get it right and it and it's genuinely great. But this, yeah, that's right. not our job. They, 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 and they don't, for the most part, this isn't always true. They don't want you involved. I had something optioned, and um, and yeah, and again, you know, so some some company have bought the thing, and they like your writing enough, and they like the concept enough to buy the thing, but they don't want you involved. They pass it on. To someone else, you know what I mean? Okay, fair enough. Wait, I just want to say I've had a stuff option too, and um, that is as true a sentiment as can be stated. Like you have this image. I think for a minute you have this image. Oh, I'm the writer. I'm going to be on set, and they're going to be consulting with me. Like (laughs) I get the thing. If you are on set, you're in the corner with a tuna sandwich. You shake the star's (laughs) hand for three minutes. They have nothing to do with you. The rest in your mind, there's this vision of glory, and in truth, you know. It's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. Well, all. I think, again, I don't want to sort of like speak on behalf of other friends, but there are some two friends of mine have flown down to Puerto Rico from the UK and they, um, and they got to meet all the, the big Hollywood stars and have their photographs taken. But I think, as you say, I think you've summed up the experience quite well. Right. I did get told, like I told one story about a writer who was flowing, they were making his film and they flew him out and they were like, we want you on set tomorrow. We're going to send a private jet. He was like, holy shit, finally. And they flew him out and he's on set and then they bring him up to the director and the director grabs the star and he goes, right, this guy's the writer. Tell him how that line should be read. And the writer went, well, this is how I wrote it. And the director went, thank you very much. You can go now. And they flew him home. He's on set for like one question. They sent a jet for him. Right. One thing I noticed, but you may tell me this, I'm just wrong and I'm reading this incorrectly, is the language is very, very tight and very, very precise. And what I mean, I'm just looking at a random page here, but it's like, they're killing the hostages. Get in there and open fire. Man, if Grandpappy could see me now, very few adjectives, no loose skin, no like, you know, trying to overstate with it. Is that something you sort of have to, is there an adjustment to be made 
from writing features, writing about the NFL draft for GQ, specifically to language and writing um, comic strips. Going back to the, the original point, it's like it's economy. And, I th- I, you know, you, you see that with sort of, um, it's, it, in that sense, again, it's no different, I think, from writing screenplays. You kind of, you, you for the most part, they're not very verbose. Um, with, with comics, you, you really have, I mean, I forget, I think it was an Alan Moore rule, which was like, you, you need like three voice bubbles per panel tops, something like 27 characters in a voice bubble tops. Because the thing is, again, it goes back to the initial point. It's a visual medium. Very often you can tell uh, prose writers and they can be really, really successful. Very good prose writers can come in to do a comic for the first time. And you look at a page and there's just a shitload of dialogue everywhere. And it just, it, it kills the visual. So that you end up with a comic with very little visual sense. Um, right. and, and it's not that they're bad writers, you know, but it's just, I think they've kind of missed the, the inherent sort of core of what comics are. Whatever you write, and then you just condense it and you try and trim it and trim it. And it needs to be as tight as possible and let, and let the visuals tell the story as, as much as possible. But, you know, obviously it's still dramatic. You still, when, when, when you're writing dialogue, you want the dialogue to be good and, and, and sharp and witty and funny or, you know, or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the easy sort of like rookie mistake to make is just massive overwriting. And that's how usually how you can tell when people start out and, and how they get better is they just, they rein themselves in all the time. I'm, uh, I'm staring at, um, this is kind of joyful for me. I'm staring at your, I got this on your, from your website, your Comic Con schedule from a couple of years ago. And it's right. like, 4.30 to 5.30, panel, room eight, 5.30 to 6.30, <laughs> signing, DC booth, Suicide Squad. Yeah, I've never been to Comic-Con, which I'm really sad to say, because it seems like the greatest thing ever. Um, you don't mean that. What is that like? No, I do mean it. I think Comic-Con seems amazing. I, and I know my kid would love it. Is it, um, what is it like? You know, for me, I always know, you know, like, there's a book release and you do all the PR and blah, 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 and it's an exciting couple weeks. What is it like doing Comic-Con? It's... Insane. It's, um, it, because I mean, like, it, it, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who lives nearby who does movie scores and, and that isn't been a fairly successful band the other day. Actually, we were talking about this and it's just like you, you go and for four days, you're, you're not David Bowie, but you get a little sort of as close as you're ever going to be for about four days. I mean, you go home and you put the bins out and, you know, you go back to, <laughs> you know, doing the shopping and everything and no one cares. No one gives a shit. Um, but it, for, for four days in Comic Con, you are, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, genuinely, I'm not like one of the huge names in the comic book business, but you just, you go away and it's a bit sort of like being on, being on tour for a couple of days, really. You, you sort of like, there's 120,000 people or whatever it is, it's probably more crammed into a small space. A lot of them are dressed in cosplay or something and it's, it's not my not my thing, but it's like it certainly gives energy and color to the thing, and and I think that's it. Right. You just have four days of absolute. Your adrenaline is completely up. You're probably staying up every night till three in the morning, and you're very worse for wear. And then the next day, instead of staying in bed all day to sleep that off, you you go in and you just have a day of just it's one meeting after another meeting after an interview or a panel or a signing or. And, um, and you're on the other side of the world with usually we are friends, you know, and, and it's, um, so it's just really super intense, a lot of fun, a lot of highs and lows. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, 
you go in for business meetings and they don't go as well as you want. You get that. And you're, you're, you're kind of, um, yeah, you're just very heightened life experience for about four days. I mean, you go home and go back and put in the bins out. One of my favorite moments in the history of television. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The show here, Saturday Night Live, once had William Shatner as the host and he did a pretend Star Trek convention. You know, all the Trekkies are asking him questions and they're like, you know, in episode 28, when you add your photon and he just goes, all right, I answer any more questions. There's something I wanted to say. I, I having received all your letters over the years and, and, and I've spoken to many of you and some of you have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles uh, to be here. I just like to say, get a life with you people. Crying out loud! It's it's just a TV show. I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. You, you, you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few uh, years into a colossal waste of time. I mean, I mean, how old are you people? What have you done with yourselves? You, you, you must be almost thirty. Have you, have you ever kissed a girl? And I actually do wonder, like. Here you are, you're this guy, 47, you got kids, you're sitting in your studio, you're writing your comics, you take out the trash, you have dinner, you go to sleep. And these, and people are like, hey, Rob, so in Judge Dredd, in that scene, when he was, when the monkey was strangling the woman, was it, was blah, 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 blah. Are you flattered or terrified or confused? Is it, do you understand your audience and who these people are and what they're looking for? Is it still perplexing to you ever? It's it's just it's constantly befuddling. It's kind of like because you know what it's like. You you do the work. I mean, you send it out in the world, and and you don't really have much of a sense. I mean, it's it's got a bit different by, by social media in recent years. You don't have much of a sense of who's reading it, and and um and the effect it's having on people, you know, positive or negative or whatever. Um, and and you know when when you get into that sort of like with, with, with you know again the, the Simpsons sort of um comic book guy thing. It was oh, you know Aquaman, you cannot. Marry a woman with gills, you know, and stuff. It's just if if people are hitting you with the sort of the, the, the minutiae of sort of like some some continuity point from five years ago, you can't even remember writing the comic. You know what I mean? Like, you you right. kind of struggle, but but it's easy to be jaded about it. But then occasionally you do get things where I mean, I, I wrote a Judge Red story a few years ago, and I I kind of like yeah, it was about um, I felt like. There's been about 30, 40 years of Judge Dredd comics. And I don't think gay culture has ever been represented in Mega City One in the future. And I kind of felt like, well, you know, it needs to be. Um, so I wrote, you know, even though I'm, I'm, I'm not gay myself, I wrote this story about gay culture in Mega City One. And, and this one character was scared to come out. And when he did come out at the end, he, and, um, uh, and he, that was years ago, about five years ago or something. I mean, I was at a convention and this guy came up to me and he shook my hand and he said, um, very sincerely, he said, I want to thank you very much for, for writing Closet, that story. It meant a lot to me. And wow. you occasionally get moments like that and you go, you just go, holy shit, people are reading this and you, and you, it kind of slaps you back into it. You know what I mean? But, um, so, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it is a bizarre thing. It's just, you, you, you should go at some point. I very much recommend you should go take your son as well, because it's, it's a really kind of like crazy way to spend a couple of days. And you do see all manner of human life is there. You know what I mean? It's, um, yeah. Hunter S. Thompson would be writing about it where he's still with us, put it that way. Let me ask you one more thing. I'm reading, I, I have a, uh, interview you did from 2005 here and someone asked you, 
Class War, which was your first work, you said, uh, Class War can be regarded as highly critical of the current U.S. administration, as well as much as of the American covert past. We obviously live in very, very, very crazy times, both in the U.K. and here. I mean, batshit crazy. Can you reflect any of that? And should you? And do you try or do you inadvertently or do you not at all reflect any of that in your work? Well, you, you, you do. I mean, Class War was written at the time. I mean, before I read a feature about, about the two Bush brothers, how they were probably going to going to run and follow in their father's footsteps. It was written in something like, I forget, 98, 99, something like that. Um, and, and so at that time, like, you know, uh, W seemed like, the, you know, the, 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 I tried to reflect that and that kind of era in Class War. I mean, now I, 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 don't, I just don't. I mean, how do you satirize what's going on now? I mean, I just, cause this is the thing. I mean, if you, especially if you're writing something like Judge Dredd, a lot of Judge Dredd is, is satire. I mean, it's meant to be a satirical strip, but it's hard. Um, and it is meant to reflect current politics. Um, but I mean, well, what's going on in your country and, and yeah, and in our country as well is so much just, as you said, just crazy. It's, um, I mean, yeah, you do, you do, you do try and reflect it because I mean, everything that goes into your work and into your art is, is, you know, what you see over on, you know, on the news or reading the, in the newspapers or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we are genuinely in, in, into sort of like an, a, an era where I'm not entirely sure how you take the piss because what, what's, what's going on every day on our screens is, is crazier than anything that the most imaginative comic writer can come up with, probably. I mean, but Trump is just pure Judge Dredd villain from from the seventies. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And there is so much in talking about Judge Dredd, which, like all good science fiction, kind of it does predict the future in so many ways. There are so many things in Judge Dredd where you kind of go, "Holy shit, that's Trump!" Um, and um, yeah, so um, yeah, we're 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 in a very, we're in strange old times, but yeah, you you do try and it just happens. Very, yeah, like you say, that's where you get your story ideas from. Very often, is what you see around you. Is the number one reason someone is picking up a comic book to have an escape from yeah, reality? You know, whenever I bring up politics and anything I write, it's always Jesus Christ, man! I just want to read about sports, which yeah, I actually yeah, understand. Sure. And I wonder if you, if you, if 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 the same applies, or if it's just you do it more subtle, so it's not an issue. Well, it depends on, on what you're doing. I mean, if you're doing a mainstream superhero book, um, you're probably not going to reflect that. That you do a lot of polit- political satire in it. If you are, you're probably going to do it quite subtly because, if nothing else, in the corporate world, Marvel are, are owned by Disney and and DC are owned by um, Time Warner. You know, and 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 you're probably going to get pushback if you pitch a story where a 300 foot tall giant mutated Trump comes over the hill and the Justice League have to fight this <laughs> or something. You know, no, no matter how much you might feel like doing that story, if you're working for indie publishers or you're working for, for Judge Dredd in, in the UK, you can probably get away with, with, with more of that type of thing. Um, so it, it depends. And, and, and that's another thing with just with what comics are. You know, it's, you know, the, the main thing that people who don't read comics see is, is the DC and the Marvel, especially with with the movies, you know, the Marvel movies and stuff. But this, so, you know, comics is like any um, sort of media form. You know, there is all kinds of different genres within comics. You know what I mean? There's indie books, there's crime books, there's war books. There's, you know, there's, there's very personal stories of, of, of what people have been through in their lives and, and, and whatever. And, and so it's, it's really, really a broad church and it's not just all 
superheroes that people see on movie screens. Um, you know, it's just another way of telling stories. Does it uh, does it bother you that when I picture Judge Brad, I picture uh, Sylvester Stallone? Yeah. <laughs> We're still trying to get past that, right? I mean, I've written. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say too much about it, but I've, I've written the pilot script of what we hope will be this new Judge Dredd TV show. We're still trying to get Stallone, I think, out of people's head. You know what I mean? Because that was again That's awesome. Uh, going back to Justice League, it was it was not the. Um, I don't think that was the finest movie in the world. Well, Rob, seriously, thank you so much for. Uh, I'm 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 thrilled that you did this, and uh, thank you so much. No worries, Jeff. No, thanks for doing it. I, I mean, I'd like to say I've read a few of your books, so I've enjoyed chatting. I want to thank today's guest, Rob Williams, for joining me on Two Writers Singing Yang. You can follow Rob on Twitter at RobWilliams71 and visit his website at robwilliamscomics.co.uk. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify, and reviews truly are always appreciated. Music is by the dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.